If you have your Bibles, if you could take them out and turn to Luke chapter 9, I'd appreciate that. We're in our new series called Important Values. Uh, we looked at that last week. We looked at family, and we learned that, that God loves us, right? God loves us unconditionally. He forgives us of our sin. He sent Jesus. We looked at the parable of the prodigal son last week. We looked at God's love that he had for both his children. And that's the picture, that's the model of love that you and I are supposed to have for one another. Of forgiving and not holding grievances and accepting one another the way God accepts us. That's the kind of love. Today we want to look at another important value. And it's the, the value that is work hard and then rest is what we're supposed to do. So if you have your Bibles in Luke chapter 9, let me give you a little background of what's happening. Luke was reminding us in the previous chapters of this book that Jesus had begun with authority to cast out demons. And then on three occasions, he cast out demons. And then Luke also reminds us right after that that Jesus had been given authority to heal diseases. And then we have a three incidences of Jesus healing diseases. And then Jesus is going to do something now very phenomenal where he's going to say to his disciples, I'm going to give you authority to, to cast out demons and to heal diseases as well. And if we start reading Luke chapter 9, verse 1, we see this. Luke 9, verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. Jesus is given this authority. At the same time, it's, it's almost like a, with training wheels on because Jesus is still there with them, right? He's still right there with them. He's still there to help them. He's still there to encourage them. As they're going out, they're coming back to report, as they would do this many times. Jesus would be there to help them, whatever is going on in life. Matter of fact, there was one time they came back and said, we weren't able to do this. And Jesus said, this is going to take much prayer and fasting, right? But he told them to do this, to go out and do this. But later on, he tells them at the end of the book of Luke, he tells them this. In Luke chapter 24, verse 46 through 47. He says, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. While, while Jesus, what Jesus was training them to do while he was with them, that's their commission after he's gone. And it's the same for us, too. That as Jesus ascended into heaven, we have Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That's our memory verse for this week, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he tells them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as Jesus was saying that, he's not only talking to people that were, they were gathered around him that day, in essence, he's talking to the entire church of all ages, where he's saying to you and I today, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, he tells us. And this is a big deal, that we're supposed to go out and we're supposed to proclaim the gospel. It's high stakes, though. It's very high stakes. It's high stakes for two reasons. First of all, it's high stakes because of the one who gives us the commission, right? It's Jesus, and he gets our attention. He gets our undivided attention. And if he says, do it, what do we do? We go, do it. We don't ask questions. We do it. We don't have to pray about it. Should I do it? Yes, we go out and, and do it. The second reason it's high stakes, because of the message that is involved that he gives us. It, we're sharing a life and death message. It's a message that's uh, has very high stakes, and it's a message of eternity. The people's eternity hangs in the balance of what they're going to do with this message. If they accept it, they'll be with Jesus forever. But if they reject it, they're going to be separated him forever in a place called the lake of fire. Because it's high stakes, I want to share with you, if you have your outlines, two steps to remission, two simple steps 
And the first step is have a single purpose and a simple lifestyle. Uh, a single purpose and a simple lifestyle. The single purpose is found in verse 2. So we find, he says, and, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. When you read that verse, when you see that they sent them out, by the way, they're sent out, that's the key. We all have to recognize that we've been sent out. We've been commissioned by Jesus. Every one of us have been commissioned by him to do one thing, that simple thing that he gives us in verse 2, to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick is what he says. Now look down at verse 6, how they respond. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Don't you just love it in the immediate context? Jesus sends them out to do something, and they go out and they do exactly what he tells them to do. We see immediate obedience. And that's what Jesus expects from all of us, immediate obedience. This is really important because this is our singular purpose. If you want to say, what's the purpose God has called the church together so we'd go out and proclaim the gospel? That's it. So you and I would proclaim the gospel. But Jesus didn't send them into the village and say, hey, I want you to do street theater and sell snake oil. He didn't send them into the villages to feed the poor or heal all the social injustices. He didn't send them out into the village to condemn immorality or, or tell the people how Jesus can help make their lives a little bit better. All those things are important, right? Except the selling of the snake oil, right? They just threw that in there. That's not important. But all those other things are important. But those things can never be substitutes for that is to proclaim the gospel message. That is our singular focus that we all have. It's to proclaim the gospel. That's what Jesus wants us to do. Singular focus. That's what he told him. That's your main job. All of our main job is to share others about the goodness of God through Jesus Christ. How great God is. If you really believe that he's good, really believe he's great, why not share the greatest thing that's happened in your life? Why not share the best things that's happened in your life? And to share him. While we're proclaiming the gospel message, we are feeding the poor through Northern Illinois Food Bank. We're uh, filling up shoeboxes. We're supporting We Care Pregnancy Center. We're, we're supporting Global Impact, the truck ministry of Jay Lorette. And all for the singular purpose for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we do that, right? By the way, there's all kinds of pressure on the church today to, to change their message in, in their culture that wants us to change our message. Don't preach that message. They're okay with God. People are okay with God, not so much with Jesus. They want a Jesus who's loving and, 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 and likes them and cares for them. But they don't necessarily want a Jesus who preaches repentance. They definitely don't want a Jesus that died on a bloody cross. They don't want anything to do with that. So the pressures on the churches, as long as I've been in ministry, which has been decades, and even longer, to change the message. Make it more palatable for our culture. Make it more appetizing. So the pressure of the church to change their message is huge. It's huge. You read articles all the time, people saying, even evangelicals, maybe we need to soften the message. And you don't hear them talk so much about Jesus. You definitely don't hear them talk about the cross, but you hear them talk about God all the time. It's God. And that's all right to talk about God, but no one's going to get saved apart from Jesus Christ, right? No one's going to get saved. So it's never been an option for a church, in my opinion, to kind of change the message or dilute the message, something else, to please man instead of Jesus. Because it doesn't work. When you share the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's powerful and effective, the Bible says. And the gospel message, the only thing that will heal in terms of spirituality, in terms of relationship with God, it's the only thing that can do that. I mean, other things can help you, but not with eternal values. And that's what Jesus does. While society says to us, you need to clean it up a little bit on that message, you need to change it a little bit, 
you need to not speak about the blood. Don't talk about the cross. Don't talk about repentance. Don't talk about any of these things. Don't say you have an exclusive message. Jesus is not the only way. We know that's not true, right? We know that Jesus is the only way because he said it himself in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the only way to be right with God. He's the only way to have your sins forgiven before God. And he's the only way to have eternal life with God is through Jesus Christ, right? So I didn't get a loud enough amen. Amen? Amen. Yeah, that should be amen. Because if you don't realize it, just check out other places. You'll find out that they're diluting the messages many times. And so that's our message is Jesus. And that message cannot change because it's the only message that heals people in terms of uh, our, our forgiveness of sins and spirituality and eternal value, eternal things. Other messages can help you, temporary things, but the only one that has eternal value and can save you is the message of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're looking for, something for eternity, not something for short-lived, right? We want something for eternity, and Jesus is the only message that can do that. But not only are we to have a singular message, but also to have a simple lifestyle is what it says. And let's read verses 3 through 5. He told them, Take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. Why would Jesus say that? He, he looks at it and says, I don't want you to take a staff. I don't want you to take a bag or bread or money. My conclusion that perhaps Jesus wanted them to depend totally upon him. Saying, I'm going to take care of you. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? I'm going to take care of you. So I want you to totally depend upon me. A few weeks ago, Sheila and I got to get away for a few days. Uh, she had a conference, and so I tagged along. And we had to get on an airplane. And you get on an airplane, you take your bags and stuff. And one of the things you can take on an airplane is a carry-on. How many of you have ever taken a carry-on on an airplane? And those carry-ons, especially the new ones, they got all these pockets in them, right? A pocket for your water bottle, a pocket for your laptop. You know, you put your, your pad, whatever you have in there. They have uh, things to put, you know, if you have sunglasses, I had a place to put sunglasses, you put Kleenex, put whatever you have in there. They actually had inside the one we have is, is a place where you could have put a battery that would charge your laptop or your iPhone or whatever phone you have. And then this one had a, had a little cable on the outside, a USB port, where you could plug a USB cable into it. Really kind of neat, all these gadgets and stuff. We like pockets. Don't you like pockets? All of us like pockets and stuff. And I think one of the reasons that Jesus said, don't take this and don't take that, first off, so you and I would depend totally upon him. But secondly, so all these things don't become a distraction to mission. Is it possible that we all like pockets? You may not think you do. We have pockets in our pants that we wear, and we stuff them with stuff. I mean, if I told you to take out the things in your pockets, we'd probably be surprised. Ladies, you have a purse. And I bet if we took out your purse, that every pocket of that purse has something in it, right? Am I right? Every pocket, there's a place for everything. We have backpacks. We put everything in there. Because we like to fill things up. We have our homes in which we have. We fill up our homes with stuff. We have our basements. They're filled up with stuff. We have two-car garages, three-car garages, and we build other garages to fill it up with stuff. We have barns. We fill it up with stuff. Is that wrong? Is that wrong to have stuff? No, it's not wrong to have stuff. But if those things could easily distract us from the mission of proclaiming the gospel. And see, if those things, you have to look at, if, if those things, that stuff that you have, is where you're getting 
uh, your value from, from your stuff, and not from God, because we're made in the image of God, then you've got a wrong perspective on your things. And that stuff is in your way. Or you're living for the stuff, and you're focused on the stuff, and it's all about the stuff, instead of focus on God, then it's wrong perspective. God has to be first. We get our value from him, not in the things that we own, not in our stuff, not filling up your garages and your barns and your house and that. Our value is found in him. We're made in his image, amen? So our focus is on him. And Jesus says, travel lightly, depend on me, and don't get distracted by all the stuff you have in your pockets, all the stuff that you have in your homes, in your basement, in your garages. Don't get distracted by all those things. Not only do we need a singular message, we also are supposed to have a simple lifestyle. The second step to our message is we need to rest from our labors, is what he tells us. We need to rest. We all need rest. Let's read verse 7 through 10. Now Herod, the tetrarch, heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed, because some were saying that John, that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John, that's John the Baptist. He says it so easily. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. Don't you love that? When the church does what it's supposed to be doing, uh, proclaiming the gospel, people who hear it, they become perplexed, perplexed about things. They don't understand it, but they want to know more. They want to know, who is this Jesus? And it's our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ to answer that question accurately according to the Scripture. When the, someone says, who is this Jesus? You and I have to be ready to give an answer, right? That he's the Son of God, that he's God, and that he died on the cross for your sins. And you can have eternal life through Jesus, forgiveness of sins through Jesus, right? We've got to be ready to give an answer when someone asks. Not wait, give an accurate answer to who Jesus is when people ask. Because that's what will change their lives. That's what they need, is Jesus. Everyone you come in contact needs Jesus. You know that. You know that. You have an answer for them. Verse 10, it goes on. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. This is a really important verse because they were all fired up and doing mission. And all the things that had happened, they come back and report. Can you imagine what it was like? They come back and Jesus sends them out. They're, they're, they're afraid to go, believe me, without Jesus being there. He sends them out two by two. They go out, and all kinds of things happen, and they come back to report to Jesus. And they got to say, Jesus, you wouldn't believe what happened. It was just like you said it was going to happen. We prayed, and, and people needed healing. We prayed and asked for healing, and they were healed. People came to us that were demon-possessed, and we prayed, God, please deliver them from that demon activity. And he delivered them, and they were healed. We proclaimed the gospel, and people believed. And they followed. It was incredible what was going on. And people were following us all around. They hear about you, hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were saying this. And so, so they're doing this. But what was fascinating is they're interesting what happens at the end of verse 10. They're sharing this stuff with Jesus. And then Jesus says, says here in verse 10, Then Jesus took them with him, and they drew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. Bethsaida. You would think, after all this is going on, hey, let's not retreat. We got the momentum. Let's keep going. Let's charge. Let's reach other towns. Let's go to other villages. Let's keep going. Well, let me show you a similar verse, also in Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 31, what it says there. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus, reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, 
that they did not even have a chance to eat. And he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Let's get some rest. There was an old preacher a century ago who took this verse and said, you either come apart and rest or you come apart, right? That's true. Either we get rest or we come apart. We get burnt out. That while we're so involved in this high-stakes, life-changing mission, and that's what this is, high-stakes, life-changing mission, there's nothing else like it, uh, there's a sense of life and death that's going on, all that's happening, a sense of urgency, a sense of people's eternity is hanging in the balance with this message that if they don't get this, they don't accept Jesus, we're going to spend an eternity apart from Christ, right? So they need this. The only thing that's going to save them, save their soul, save them from eternal separation, a lake of fire, is Jesus. And if they don't have it, there's no hope for them. There's no hope for them standing before a holy, righteous, perfect God. So Jesus is the answer, and so we have this. But Jesus is saying there also has to be times where we come apart and we rest. There has to be times where we're, we're intentional doing this ministry, but we also have to have intentional rest, where you and I separate and we get some rest. I heard a, a preacher one time, many, many years ago, who was fired up where he said, some of you want to rust out for Jesus. He says, I don't want to rust out for Jesus. He goes, I want to burn out for Jesus. And I listened to that message, and I said, man, I, I, didn't like, I didn't like it. I didn't like those two choices. And I thought, is that the only two choices? I can either rust out for Jesus or I can burn out? I think I want to wear out for Jesus. What about you? That we wear out. As I get older, I just get wear out, and I can't function as a— but I want to wear out for Jesus. That means I have to maintain balance. We have to have balance in our lives. Is to be, it, we got to carry the mission. It's an intense mission, but we have to have an intentional rest at the same time. It doesn't mean I take weeks off, months off. That's not what it's talking about. That I'm vigorously working for Christ, sharing the gospel. Then I need a good night's rest, maybe a day's rest, maybe a couple days rest. doesn't mean weeks and months I get away. No, but we all need rest, right? We all need rest. It used to be in the churches, probably is still today, the 80-20 rule, you probably all heard that, that the weight of ministry, not only in terms of service and, and giving, is done by 20% of the people. Where 80% of the people in the church carry much less of the weight, but there's 20% of the people carry much of the weight in terms of service and uh, of giving. I hope that's not tr true here at Crossroads. I hope it's not true of us at all. My desire and prayer that it would be 100% of us that would be involved, that all of us see that the mission that God has given to us. Every one of you see that. I share about it all the time, that you would see that and understand it. They would proclaim the gospel message and go into the villages. The villages would be, today would be in your workplace, would be in your neighborhood, to your neighbors, to your families, to places to go and, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it wouldn't just be 20% of us, but it would be 100% of us that would go and do that, that we feel this calling and that we're sent out, we know it, we see it, we're sent out by God, we say yes to God, but it has to come with balance. I'm not saying we just go, we keep working till we fall down and burn out. No, that's not what it's saying. But we all go, every one of us, every one of you, if you know Jesus Christ, profess that I'm a follower of Jesus, I've accepted him as my Savior, you've all been called to go out and proclaim the gospel. Every one of us have that commission. And it's not that, oh, it's an option. It's not an option. God wants us to share it. He puts you in your social circle to those people around you in your life so he strategically has placed you there so you might share the gospel with them so they might come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. But as I said, it means balance. Kevin DeYoung wrote a book. Let me read just a section of his book. I kind of like what he said here. He says, For too many of us, the hustle and bustle of the, of the, the electronic activity 
is a sad expression of a deeper ascedia. We feel busy, but not with a hobby or recreation or play. We are busy with busyness. Rather than figure out what to do with our spare minutes and hours, we are content to swim with the shallows and pass our time with the passing of time. How many of us are growing to accustomed to the acedia of our age feel the same mix of busyness and lifelessness? We're always engaged with our thumbs, but rarely engaged with our thoughts. We keep downloading information, but rarely get down to the depths of our hearts. That's acedia. Purposelessness disguised as constant commotion. And he defines acedia, a term that may be new to many of us. Acedia is just not laziness. Acedia is purposelessness. Acedia is growing weary, not because we're not doing anything. We're doing something, but because the things we're doing is not refreshing and not recharging us. That's acedia. And it happens to all of us. All of us have that in our lives. We're, we're busy. We're doing things that don't really matter. matter. It, it's purposelessness. We're involved in all kinds of things in our lives that keeps us busy, but it doesn't really matter. It doesn't refresh us. It doesn't recharge us. And so we're, we're doing a lot of things in our life. A lot of us could say, oh, I'm busy. I'm busy doing this. I'm busy doing that. Not that they're important things, but they don't really matter in terms of spiritual or eternal value. There's really not eternity to the value of the things that we're doing in this world. And that's what he's saying. That's what his CD is. We're busy. We're all busy doing things. But if we're looking at the spiritual and eternal value, what will that matter in years to come? Nothing. What are we actually putting value in for eternity? And what do we pour into eternity? People's lives. People's lives. The Word of God. That will be around for eternity. All the stuff that we have will not be around. And we pour our lives in those things. We pour our lives in doing all kinds of those things. He goes, that's a CD. That's what it is. So let me kind of look at this value. What does this mean? I want to give you some thoughts. It's not in your outline. What does this value look like in action for us today? How can we apply it in our own lives? And I think the first one is we, we have to give the Lord our best. We have to give him our best. Uh, give him our very best. Don't, not 20%, but 100% is what we need to do. We can all do it. My suggest is we have a big kickoff for our small groups this fall that all of you would get involved, that you wouldn't be left out. You say, well, I've got to get involved in that. I've got to be involved in a small group. We're going to have more small groups this year that you would say, I'm going to be involved with that. That's one way to start. There are some people in our congregation that's involved over here or involved in many ministries, two, three, four, five ministries. They're involved in a cafe and children's ministry, involved in cutting the grass. And they're asking, what more can I do? Is there something else I can do? What I would say to you, you need to rest. Not stop what you're doing, but you need to make sure you, you get your rest, right? And there's other you, you that's you're saying, I'm not really doing anything. I'm not really involved in anything in here. Is there room for me? And the answer is, absolutely, there's room for you. There's room for everyone, right, to serve. The church is a functioning thing that involves all of us, all of us, not just a few of us. There's a book that was written by the Jungle Book. You've probably heard it. There's a poem that I like to call The Law of the Wolves. And I want to read a portion of it. It says, now this is the law of the jungle, as old and true as the sky, and the wolf that shall keep it may prosper, but the wolf that shall break it must die. As the creeper that girdles the tree trunk, the law runneth forward and back, for the strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack. The strength of the church is the Christian, the strength of the Christian is the church. I know Jesus Christ is our foundation, we get a strength, but we're only as strong as a Christian, only as strong as our church, and our church is only as strong as each one of you individually. We make up the church, and we need each other. 
We're not called to do this by ourselves. We're not called to be an island and, and do ministry lonely all by ourselves. We're called to do it together, to work hard together, and then rest together. We're called to do those kind of things. So let's do it with intentionality, not only for our work, but also for rest. We're called to do it together is what he calls us. Second, we strive for excellence, not perfection. We want, we want to be the best that we can. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. None of us are going to be perfect. None of us arrive. But excellence doesn't mean we're not going to develop. We want to develop people. We want to see people develop. We want to give people opportunities and chances. We want to have a church will embrace people so they can find themselves in that pyramid and be all that God wants them to be. I don't have a picture of the pyramid this week, but you remember last week we said the foundation of the pyramid? We said the structure of the church is that Jesus Christ is the foundation. He has to be the foundation. And everything else aligns with that foundation. Our doctrine aligns with Jesus, who he is. Then we have our purpose. Our purpose, we want to help people know Christ, grow in Christ, and share Christ with others. We want to do that. And so we have our purpose. We want to um, make uh, Christians who, who, who kind of make Christians disciples and make disciples and make disciples is what we want to do. And then on top of that, we have our values, which are going on. And then our methods. Our methods are ministry in which we accomplish our purpose. We want everybody to be involved in doing that and accomplish what God wants them to do and have people the opportunity to do that. There's some place for every one of you. And there's new ministries to be, be started. Uh, the third, we want to look for ways to make things better. Let's always do that, all of us. We should always be looking how we can do things better, how we can be better organized, how we can better reach the skeptics, how we can reach more children, how can we get more people involved, how can we minister to the single uh, parent, the single dad, the single mom? How can we uh, reach those in need? How can we reach the homeless? All those kind of ministries. It's not just my job. It's all our jobs to do that, right? It's just not the pastors to say, hey, I'm supposed to come up with all the ideas. So it's constantly thinking how we can do things better. How can we make things better? But as I'm saying that, I just imagine you all thinking I'm thinking of Sunday morning service. That's not what I'm thinking about. I'm not looking for people to come and say, hey, we need to do this better on Sunday mornings. It's not what I'm thinking. That's not what's going to grow the church. It's what we're going to do better. What I'm talking about is our ministries of the church. Of what we're going to do in our ministries of the church. How we can minister the children better. How can we, we can minister to student ministries. How can we minister to the single mom and the single dad? How about the homeless or those who are in need? Or those in need in our congregation? What new ministries do we need to start to do that? And by the way, if God has placed something on your heart and your mind, many times the habit of people are coming up and say, hey, pastor, I got a great idea. This is an idea. Go do it. No, if God's placed it on your heart, it means he wants you to do it, be involved in doing it, right? If he's placed it on your heart to do something, he definitely wants you to be involved in doing it, not just to give orders to someone else to do it. So if God's placed it on your mind, be in prayer about it because God has something that maybe he wants you to carry out to do and stuff. So to be a part of that, we're all a part of this. This is all of our church, right? Not just one person. It's all of our church. We're all responsible for what's going on. We're all responsible to put out, to share the gospel and to minister to others. Fourth, get the rest you need. In order to get the rest, though, you got to work hard, right? We all got to work hard. Work hard in ministering. I know we all work hard in our jobs, and God expects that. These people worked hard, got to provide for their needs. But he also expects us to work hard while we're on those jobs, looking for opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that God has placed you strategically where you're at in your job, wherever you're, wherever you're assigned, where you live, every place where you shop, every place? He says, I've got you strategically placed there so you may be my ambassador. So you can share the gospel of Jesus Christ, have the opportunity to show the love of Jesus to others wherever you go. 
You're there for a purpose and reason, not by chance. God has strategically placed you where you're at so you can minister, be ministers for him. And if he called you by name and you say, okay, now that you're saved, you're done. No, he says, now I've got work for you to do for me. And we're called to do that. Uh, God is going to apply this different in our lives, though, how, how we do it. For some involved in many ministries, uh, for some here, you're going to say, uh, uh, what else can I do? I'm going to say, you need to rest. You need to get the rest you, you, you need before you get burnt out. Because if you get burnt out, then you can't help. Uh, but we need to get the rest. And as I say, rest doesn't mean some people think, oh, I've, I'm, I'm resting. I served for many years, and now I'm taking a break. And how long have you been a break? Oh, about five years or six months. God doesn't expect us to rest like that, does he? Maybe the rest what we're talking about, oh, I need a, a night or two, a good night's rest, maybe a week, but not months and years. Would it be serving? Would it be serving? We only got so many years on this earth, right? Jesus spent 33 years on this earth, and he did a lot in his three years of ministry. He turned the world upside down and expects us to do with our life, to turn our social, social circle that we live in upside down with the gospel message we're supposed to do. For some over here, it means you need, you're not really involved, you need to step into ministry. Uh, whether it be giving financially, whether it be uh, serving in a ministry, where, whether it be getting in a small group, whether it be in a prayer ministry, to get involved. By the way, that's, it's all of our lives. All of us need to be involved in those kind of things of giving, serving, in a small group, in prayer, in a prayer ministry. All of us need to be doing that. But what we need to difference is we need to step into it intentionality. It's what we need to do because this is all of ours. It's not just mine. It's just not a few of ours. It's just not the 20% that usually work. It's all of ours. Every one of yours. If you want the place to be better, you want it to grow, it's all of us to do it, right? That's what it is. It's all of us. Let's work hard. Let's work hard, but then let's rest. So we all work hard together to accomplish it, but then we rest. If you are here, you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior yet. You ever get tired of me saying that? You ever get there? Hopefully you don't get tired of me saying that. That if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're Savior yet. Because there might be some here that are new that don't know Christ. But there might be some here that have been coming here for a long, long time. And they hear that every week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's never registered. That it's just kind of a blank. It goes over their head and stuff. And finally, God might just open up their eyes and open their hearts and minds where they, right now they understand who Jesus is. If you are here today, you don't know Jesus Christ, you're Savior yet. Don't look at yourself, oh man, I'm lost. No, you're not. You need to understand that God loves you, and he wants to have a relationship with you, but because of your sin, we're all sinners. I'm a sinner. Our sin separates us from God. We're separated from him, because he's holy, righteous, perfect, and just, and we're not. We're sinners, so we can't approach a holy, just, righteous, perfect God. So there's a big, big separation between us and God. There's a gap that we cannot approach on our own. There's nothing we can do about it. So God fixed the problem by sending his son from heaven, who is God, sent him down to this earth, Jesus. And Jesus came to this earth, and he took on the form of a human being, became a man. And then he went to the cross, and God placed all of your sins, all those things that separate you from God, all your past sins, present, and future sins. And Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was your substitute. He died in your place upon that cross for your sins, so that now you and I can have a relationship with God so you and I can approach a holy, just, perfect God, not because I'm good, because Jesus is good, and Jesus died on the cross for my sin and paid my sin debt. So all I have to do is now respond to him by accepting what Jesus Christ did for me upon that cross by saying yes to Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. 
I know Jesus is the Son of God, and I know he died on the cross for my sins. So today, I accept the finished work that Jesus did for me on the cross. I accept him by faith. If you've never done that, if you've never done it, please do that today. We talked about being part of the family last week. The only way you can be part of God's family is through Jesus, is through Jesus. And then once you're part of God's family, your eternity is set. Your future is set in Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, please do that today by accepting Jesus. If you have questions, please see me after the service. Some of you today are maybe carrying heavy burdens, burdens that you never should have to carry alone. And whether it be physical, maybe it be emotional, maybe it be financial, whatever it may be, it doesn't really matter, that we want to help you whatever way we can with those by coming up alongside of you and help shoulder some of the burden by talking with you and praying with you. And if you have those, don't feel like you got to carry them all by, in, by yourself. Please come and see me or see the elders or even turn to people around you. I'm sure they'd be glad to pray with you. We would like to help you with that. That's what we're here. We're family. We're here to shoulder the burdens together. We're there when you're down to, to lift you up. And when I'm down, you'd lift me up. That's what we're here to together. What's family does, right? We don't point our fingers at people. We don't judge people. We don't hold grievances against people. We don't look down upon people. We're family. We accept them, right? We help them to be all that God wants them to be. That's our responsibility, to restore and build each other up. That's what family does, right? That's what we want to be as a church. So if you have those problems, don't feel bad. Just come and get the help that you need, okay? Let's, let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise you because there is absolutely no one like you. Lord, we can talk about all the things that we want to do. And Lord, the only reason we're able to do them is because of you. Lord, all of us might try to do good things, but apart from you, Lord, those good works that we do may fill a temporary gap, may fill a, a temporary need, but they won't, aren't lasting. Because, Lord, when we include you in what we're doing and we give to help someone in need, Lord, not only do we give that, but we also give them the healing message of Jesus Christ, which, which heals them forever. And so, Lord, that's what we want to be. We want to be people that, that lift up the name of Jesus, whatever we do. That we just don't want to be people who do good deeds. We want to be people who do good deeds in the name of Jesus, that we come to glorify you. And I pray that for each person here, that we see the difference, Lord, that we see the difference. When I do it in the name of Jesus, I'm doing it under his strength, in his power, which changes people's lives. Not just for today, but for eternity, Jesus Christ. When I do good works on my own, I help them for a temporary need, and that's it. It doesn't go any further. But Jesus helps for eternity. He makes a difference forever. That's the difference what Jesus can do. And so, Lord, I pray for each one of us that you might use this for your glory to help others in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, that we might look for those opportunities not to help them with their physical needs, their emotional needs, and whatever, but, Lord, their spiritual needs. Lord, they need Jesus. Everyone we come in contact needs you. I pray for the person here that may not know Jesus Christ, their Savior, this morning. Lord, help them to realize they're a sinner in need of a Savior. And Lord, you, you didn't come here to judge them, point your finger at them. You came to save them. You came to accept them through forgiveness of sins, through their faith in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we're so thankful for you. And let them to realize that you love them and you would accept them. All will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That anyone who comes to you, you will not turn away. They're sincere, and they truly believe in you. So I pray for them, Lord. I pray for every one of us today that you would be ministered to us wherever we're at. And wherever we're at, Lord, we realize that, Lord, we're being sent out on mission. 
that every day is another mission opportunity. Not just to get up, oh, I got to go to work. No, that's the day of mission. At my workplace, I could be the hands and feet of Jesus. I can show the love of Jesus. I can show the forgiveness of Jesus. I can speak with the voice of Jesus. And I can have opportunity to share about the good news of Jesus, what he did for me. That every day is that opportunity. When I'm driving my cars and every day, when I'm shopping, it's every day is an opportunity. That we look for the opportunities in everything that we do. Talking to a neighbor, whatever we do, it's an opportunity that God has given to us. That we're on mission. Help us remind us, Lord, the mission you've called us to. It's a high-stakes mission. It depends upon people's eternity, a life and death mission. And Lord, you've called us to this. It's the most important mission there is. We're what people, we're people who spend their future, their eternity. So Lord, help us to realize the urgency of it to our neighbors, to our family members, to our co-workers who need Jesus. Lord, be with us. Help us to realize, Lord, in all things, no matter what we're going through, when we struggle, that God, you are always good. And there's no one like you. You're always good. You always look in to help us in our times of need. It may not seem what we want, but it's exactly what we need every time. When we don't think you're working, you're working behind the scenes. Open up our eyes, Lord. Help us to realize that. Help us not to be so inner focused that we're just seeing things right in front of us. But let us get the bigger picture like you look at things. Let us look outside of ourselves to other people. Fix our minds upon them, how we can better minister to others. And many times the things in our lives can be taken care of by that, by taking our focus off ourselves. Help us to be like Jesus. Help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Lord, we love you and we praise you, Lord. We ask all these things in a wonderful, amazing name, in the name of Jesus, the only name that saves. Amen.